Judges chapter 6, please. Tonight we're introduced to one of the great heroes of faith. His name's Gideon. And he's mentioned in the great hall of faith, as we call it, in Hebrews chapter 11. Let's begin reading here in Judges 6 in verse 11. And we'll uh, go through these verses and I'll make some comments along the way. And there came an angel of the Lord and sat under an oak, which was an Ophrah that pertained unto Joash the Abiezrite. And his son Gideon threshed wheat by the winepress to hide it from the Midianites. Now in the appointment here of Gideon by the Lord as a judge and a savior of Israel, we see that he's no different than any of his family, any of his tribe, or any of Israel as a whole. He's fearful, and he's harvesting his crop in hiding. If you remember last week, we looked in the first of this chapter with the Midianites. They were a different kind of enemy. They didn't just come in and and fight and, and take over Israel. They came at the harvest season and stole their crops, took their cattle and sheep and goats or whatever. And um, this was a a real this was they were a real thorn in the flesh to to uh, Israel. And so Israel went into the high places and. They planted secret gardens and crops trying to keep that from happening. And that's what's happening here. Uh, Gideon is threshing wheat. And the thing that came to came to, to mind as I read that is that there's nothing special at all about any of God's elect that would cause God to choose them. In and of ourselves, no difference in any of us. Uh, the only difference between any of us, as you well know, is the difference that God makes. I think about the Apostle Paul's questions that he asked in 1 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 7. He said, who makes you to differ from another? Uh, what do any of us have that God did not give us? And then if that's the case, and it is, it's God that makes us to differ. It's God that gives us all that we have. And because of that, why is there any reason for us to glory or take pride or get puffed up as if we did not receive it from Him? There is no reason for us to uh, be arrogant or prideful. The only thing that makes a believer special is that they're in Christ. That's it. But special you are if you're in Him. Now when Paul asks who maketh thee to differ, that phrase maketh to differ means who distinguishes you? Who differentiates? Who discriminates? Who determines and makes a distinction between you or anyone else? And we know the answer to that. It's the... It's all through Scripture. It's God who has mercy on whom He'll have mercy and compassion on whom He'll have compassion and, and whom He will, He harden it. Uh, you know, in today's society, the Lord God of the Bible would be considered politically incorrect, wouldn't He? 
Well, you're not supposed to distinguish. You're not supposed to differentiate. Well, God does. And God has the right to as God. Does He not have the right to do what He will with His own? And it's all His. All of it. The earth and the fullness thereof and all that dwelleth therein, it belongs to God. He doesn't have to apologize. He does whatsoever He wills. He answers to no one. And He's not affected by mankind's thoughts of Him. Gideon is not chosen of God because he is superior or on a higher level than anyone else in Israel. He's, in, he's threshing grain in secret, hiding so that the Midianites will not rob his family of their sustenance. And in verse 12 we read, And the angel of the Lord appeared unto him. And he said unto him, The Lord is with thee, thou mighty man of valor. Now, none of God's servants, Noah, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Joseph, Moses, Aaron, Joshua, Caleb, David, right on down the line, differed because of anything that they themselves did. There was nothing within any of them. Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord, but he was no different than anyone else on earth. The Lord calls Gideon here a mighty man of valor because he was going to make him so. God's callings are God's enabling. I don't know who wrote that, but it's good. God's callings are God's enabling. We have no ability or willingness, for that matter, to do anything. When God, with God's call comes His enabling power. We are made willing in the day of His power. If God doesn't give His power to, and, and give us life, that we don't have any ability or willingness. No man can come, no man will come to me that they might have life. A dead sinner has no ability to pick themselves up by the bootstraps. Whenever I hear somebody say that, I just I laugh with inside because we can't pick ourselves up by our bootstraps or anything else. A dead sinner has no willingness to do anything because they're dead. <laughs> and dead in trespasses and sin. The soul that sins, it shall die. And that's what we are. Sin's what we are. And it's our sins that have separated us from God. Isaiah 59, 2. That's what this book teaches. Being separated from God, we have no life in us. That's, what, that's why uh, eternity, uh, eternal death is just that. It's being separated from God. A soul will live forever, but death is being separated from God. And because of our dead condition, God gives us life and He equips us for the special work that He gives us to do. And that's the case with Gideon and that's the case with you and me. Again, what proof that our function in the church of God is God's prerogative. It's God's appointment. It's God's will. It's God's purpose. And it cannot be accomplished by the strength of our flesh. Isn't that what the Scriptures say? Not by might, nor by power, but by my Spirit, saith the Lord of hosts. Zechariah 4, 6. 
And Paul wrote, Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of His might. That's where our strength comes from. It's the Lord's strength, not ours. We have none. Now, verse 13, And Gideon said unto him, speaking to the angel of the Lord, he said, O my Lord, if the Lord be with us, why then is all this befallen us? And where, and where be all His mercies, which our fathers told us of, saying, Did not the Lord bring us up uh, from Egypt? But now the Lord hath forsaken us and delivered us into the hands of the Midianites. You know, every believing sinner still has a great deal of unbelief in them. <laughs> uh, I'm amazed, and uh, shouldn't be, because of, because of who the God, the God that they serve. But men and women today, they talk so much about their faith and, and what they're doing for God, and it's, it's ridiculous. And our prayer should always be, Lord, I believe, and help thou my unbelief, because we've got, we've got so much of it. So much unbelief. Uh, in verse 13, Gideon reminds us of just that. This gives us some real insight and knowledge of ourselves. In the midst of a trial, uh, it's near impossible to deal with anything but the specific trial that you are in. If you're going through a trial, regardless of what it is, it's, it's hard to think about anything else, isn't it? It's hard to concentrate on anything else, except for the problem at hand. And in a hard trial, it's very easy to see ourselves as a victim. Um, and we forget that it is, in most cases, if not all, it was our own sin and rebellion and disobedience that more than likely brought it on. That's the case with Israel time and time again. They'd begin to worship idols. And the Lord would send them trouble. And they'd cry unto the Lord. And the Lord would send a judge. And the Lord would deliver them. And then the judge would die. And then the people would start the cycle all over again. Matter of fact, we titled that our study last week. Here we go again. And that is so true of our lives. And it's difficult to see the blessings of God's providence in a trial when there's nothing but trouble and ruin and decay and sight and all around you. It just is. When the evil of the wicked comes against the child of God, for them, God works and means that wickedness against them for good. That's what He said, Romans 8.28. Oh, we love to quote that verse. But I think sometimes we have difficult living there, don't we? All things work together for the good of them that love the Lord. And the first trial that comes along, we're victims. We're just victims. Why, uh, why do, you know, people say, why do bad things happen to good people? Well, first and foremost, you're not good. You're not. Only in Christ. And secondly, if, if, if the Lord is working it for your good, then that's good. <laughs> that's good. Regardless of you being good. God blesses us in His divine providence uh, in spite of us. And that's what makes the gospel so glorious. That's what makes grace unmerited, undeserved. When the evil of the wicked comes, it's for our good. 
And that's why all things work together for our good. Who? To those that love God, who are to be called according to His purpose. God meant this trouble for good. And when you find yourselves in trouble, remember that. God sent this trouble for your good. God sent this sickness for your good. God sent this affliction for your good, regardless of what it is. That's what Joseph told his brothers that sold him into slavery. He said, you meant it for evil, but God meant it for good. And Joseph went, as you know, from the pit to the palace. (laughs) So have you. So have you. So have you. That's what God purposed. And what God purposes always comes to pass. Verse 14. And the Lord looked upon him, Gideon, and said, Go in this thy might. My might? And thou shalt save Israel from the hand of the Midianites. I shall save Israel? And then he says, He shows us here why we can say that or why Gideon could say that and we can too. He said, have not I sent thee? (laughs) He sends us in his power and his might and by his spirit. And this obviously seemed foolish and unattainable to Gideon because the same Lord who claimed to be with him, the same Lord who promised to make him great, appears to have abandoned Israel. And Gideon, his family, and Israel as a whole are hiding from the Midianites. Running through Gideon's mind is, why should I believe the Lord is with me when the same Lord is allowing these Midianites to afflict us this way? You ever thought that? You ever thought, why am I experiencing this struggle? If the Lord loves me so much, why am I experiencing this difficulty? Well, we've already answered that, haven't we? It's for our good. Somehow, some way, it's for our good. <laughs> and most of the time, after it's all the dust is settled and we look back, we go, that was for our good. That's for my good, wasn't it? And it always is. It always is. Now, in verse 14, the identity of the angel here is revealed because we're told very directly that the Lord looked upon Gideon. Just as Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord, so did Gideon find grace, and so does every believer. We don't find the Lord. Somebody, I've heard folks say, you know, I found the Lord. I I got saved, I found the Lord. No, no, you didn't find the Lord. He wasn't lost. You're the one that was lost. He found you. Grace found you. You found grace in the eyes of the Lord. Gideon found grace. You and I find grace. How comforting it is to know that the Lord looks upon us with compassion, with mercy and grace, giving us life and giving us the power to do what He's purposed for us to do. He said, Gideon, you go in your might. That's God's might in Him. And you save Israel. That's God saving Israel through a man. That's the means God uses. It's the same with preaching. It's the means God uses to save those that believe. It's not the message of the man. It's not the power of the man that saves. We can't give anybody life. We're, we're dead sinners just like everyone else. It's God through a man. And uh, that's just the way God ordained it. That's the way God does it. Why should we ever doubt 
The Lord said, have not I sent thee? Now look at verse 15. And he, Gideon, said unto him, O my Lord, wherewith shall I save Israel? Behold, my family is poor in Manasseh, and I am the least in my father's house. Not only, not only are we poor, but I'm the, I'm the least in the family. I'm, I'm the worst of the bunch. Paul said the same thing. Oh, let me show you that. Hold your place here in Judges 6 and turn with me to Ephesians chapter 3. I want you to see this. Ephesians chapter 3. We'll look at verse 7. Let me say while you're turning, whatever God purposes our role to be in the furtherance of the gospel, it's always a gift to the unworthy given by His power. It's God's gift to us. Ephesians chapter 3, verse 7. Look at what Paul writes here. He says, Whereof I was made a minister, according to the gift of the grace of God given unto me by the effectual working of His power. That's exactly what we see here with Gideon. He said, Unto me, who am less than the least of all saints is this grace given that I should preach among the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ and to make all men see what is the fellowship of the mystery. Is it Paul making them to see? No, it's the spirit through the preaching that Paul did that did make all men see what is the fellowship of the mystery which from the beginning of the world hath been hid in God who created all things by Jesus Christ. And you see, friends, it's the same Lord that sent Paul that sent Gideon. And it's the same Lord that sends you. And the same Lord that sends me. Gideon received the gift of the grace of God and it was given to him by the effectual working of God's power, the same as it was to Paul. And that's what Paul just told us. There in Ephesians chapter 3. Gideon said, my family's poor. I'm the least in my father's house. God won't use a man's might, but He'll certainly use a man's meekness and a man's weakness. It's so with every believing sinner, the power of grace has made them meek. Gideon's a meek man. And being the frail vessels we are, we're so frail. Every child of God is doubtful that they're worthy to do anything for God. Moses, you remember what Moses cried? He said, Lord, I can't speak. I'm not a good speaker. You want me to go and to preach the gospel to Pharaoh and tell him to let my people, I can't even speak. I, I, I maybe had a, a speech impediment. That's what a lot of the commentators say. Paul cried, who's sufficient for these things? Remember what Barak told Deborah in a couple studies ago? He said, if you don't go with me, I'm not going to go. The believer is constantly humbled by the thought that they'd be used of God to do anything. I've told you the story about uh, uh, Todd Niver going to a doctor. It turned out to be a guy that I went to school with. 
And uh, he said, I, Todd told him, he said, I know a guy uh, that comes from your hometown. The doctor told him where he was from, and he told him his name. He said, well, I went to school with him. I, we played baseball together. He said, what's he doing now? He said, he's a preacher, and he said he dropped his stethoscope. <laughs> he said, uh, of all the people I went to school with, I wouldn't have thought David Edmondson would be a preacher. You know what? I wouldn't have either. I wouldn't have either. I cannot speak who's sufficient for these things. If you don't go with me, Lord, I'm not going to go. Okay, back to Judges chapter 6, verse 16. You know, a believer never talks about what they do for God. Not a true believer. They talk about what God does for them and what God's done for them. Judges 6, verse 16, And the Lord said unto him, and here it is, Surely I will be with thee, and thou shalt smite the Midianites as one man. <laughs> and he said unto him, If now I have found grace in thy sight, then show me a sign that thou talkest with me. Now it's common, it was common to ask for a sign in the Old Testament uh, the Word of God was not fully revealed at that time. Even in the days when our Lord ministered on earth, His message and His work was accompanied with signs and wonders. This was the means of authentication. Um, but since the work of Christ has been completed, the need of those things have, have passed and ended. Listen to what Paul wrote in 1 Corinthians chapter 13. I won't turn you there, verses 8 through 10. He said, Charity never faileth, love never fails. But whether there be prophecies, talking about men telling uh, future events before they happen, he said, uh, whether there be prophecies, they shall fail. There's going to be a time when they stop. He said, whether they be tongues, they shall cease. That word tongues there is a, is a Greek word called glossa. Glossiaia. It, it means a language. Now, speaking in tongues in the New Testament is not the gibberish that is practiced in some churches today. If someone was preaching the gospel in a language that they did not know, or someone is hearing the gospel preached in their native tongue that the preacher did not know, that's what tongues was. And uh, that's very obvious when you, when you read the scripture, especially 1 Corinthians uh, 13, I believe. And then Paul goes on to say whether there be knowledge or a word of knowledge, uh, a supernatural gift of the knowledge of divine things. That's what that's talking about. It shall vanish away. In the authentication of the gospel, God gave these particular gifts, but they're no longer needed today. And this is why. Because Paul said, for we know in part and we prophesy in part, but when that which is perfect is come. Speaking of Christ, speaking of His Word then that which is in part shall be done away with. No need. There's nothing for us to do, friends, but to trust in the perfect one, the Lord Jesus Christ. 
This book tells us everything that we need to know. We don't need any further authentication. God says it right here. God in sundry times and in divers manners, different ways, in the times past spoke through the prophets. But now He speaks to us through His Son. This book. The written Word. The living Word. The Word of Salvation is finished, accomplished. The only sign and wonder needed is done. (laughs) What sign and wonder that is? The sign and wonder that Christ lived and Christ died and was buried and rose again and ascended on high to sit on the throne of God at the right hand of God in all power to rule and to reign until His enemies have in the end been made His footstool. And listen to this. He says, For by one offering the perfect one hath perfected forever them that he sanctified, and he's put his laws in our hearts, and he's written them in our minds, and their sins and iniquities I will remember no more. (laughs) That's on proof we need. The Lord sits at the right hand of God. God accepted his offering. God accepted his sacrifice. And He accepted us in Him. You ever heard any better news than that? No more need for an offering for sin. We now enter with boldness by the blood of Christ and we draw near with a true heart and full assurance of faith. And we can hold fast the profession of our faith without wavering. Why? Because God is faithful that promised. Okay, verse 18, Judges 6. Gideon speaking says, Depart not hence, I pray thee, until I come unto thee, speaking to the angel of the Lord, or the Lord. And don't leave, Lord, until I bring forth my present and set it before thee. And he, the Lord, said, I'll tarry till thou come again. And Gideon went in and made ready a kid, a small uh, goat, and unleavened cakes, of an ephah of flour, the flesh he put in a basket, the, the kid, the meat from the kid, he put in a basket and he put the broth in a pot and he brought it out unto him, the Lord, unto the, under the oak and presented it. And the angel of God said unto him, Take the flesh and the unleavened cakes and lay them upon this rock and pour out the broth poured out on the meat and the unleavened cakes. And he did so. Then the angel of the Lord put forth the end of the staff that was in his hand and touched the flesh and the unleavened cakes and there rose up fire out of the rock and consumed the flesh and the unleavened cakes. Then the angel of the Lord departed out of his sight. And when Gideon perceived that he was an angel of the Lord, Gideon said, Alas! Now that word is is a word used for expressing pain or fear. Alas! O Lord God, for because I have seen an angel of the Lord face to face. Gideon was, was scared to death. You know why? 
Why did Gideon fear? Because he knew that this was the Lord God and he knew that no man shall see God face to face and live. And he was afraid that he's going to die. You remember Manoah and his wife, same thing. The angel appeared for them and then disappeared into the smoke. And uh, Noah said, we, we're going to die. We're fixing to die. No man sees the face of the Lord and lives. That's what the Lord told Moses in Exodus 33, verse 20. He said, Thou canst not see my face, for there shall no man see me and live. But friends, there's a place by God. <laughs> a place where we can stand upon a rock. And God places us in the cliff of that rock. Rock of ages, cleft for me. And, it, and He covers us with His hand. That place is in Christ. That's who that's talking about. And miraculously, Gideon had seen the face of God and he lived. How could that be? Well, to see how is to see the Gospel. Gideon asked for a sign so that he might know it was the Lord Himself that spoke that he spoke with, verse 17. And he desires fellowship, so he asked the Lord that He wouldn't leave me. And the Lord promised that He wouldn't in verse 18. And hadn't the Lord promised us that He'd never leave us nor forsake us? He'd never broke a promise, not one. So Gideon goes and he prepares a meal. He prepares the meal called a present in verse 18. Present in my margin means meat offering. But now this is important to understand. This was not Gideon offering a sacrifice. You see, Gideon was not a priest. Uh, nor was this place they were at under this oak tree uh, a place for sacrifice. It didn't have an altar. Gideon made ready a kid and unleavened cakes. He put the meat in a basket. He put the broth in a pot. He made unleavened cakes. And he presented it to the angel of the Lord. And in verse 20, the angel instructed him to lay that meat and that unleavened cakes upon a rock and to pour out the broth upon the meat and the cakes. And he did. And I'll add this. Every child of God is made to be obedient to the command of God. He did it. And he did, it says. And then verse 21 tells us, And the angel of the Lord put forth the end of his staff, the end of the staff that was in his hand, and touched the flesh and the unleavened cakes, and there rose up fire out of the rock, and consumed the flesh and the unleavened cakes. Then the angel of the Lord departed out of his sight. I read that verse again on purpose. Do you see the gospel in that? Jesus Christ is the rock upon which the fire of God fell. He's the mercy seat upon which the blood was poured and offered. No, this was not an offering that Gideon was making. This is a picture of the sacrifice and offering that Christ Himself made for His chosen people. The Lord Jesus, the Lamb of God, sacrificed Himself he voluntarily laid down his life. He said, no man takes it from me. I lay it down. Uh, he told Pilate. Pilate said, don't you know i got the power to crucify you? He said, you don't have no power at all that wasn't given you from heaven. 
You can't, you don't have the power to do anything with me. I am God. I'm giving you the power to do this to me. The Lamb of God sacrificed Himself. He became flesh of our flesh and bone of our bone. And He that knew no sin. Listen, there was no leaven of sin in Him. That's what those unleavened cakes picture. No leaven of sin. He was made sin. <laughs> the broth, I think, very well pictures the blood poured out upon the Lord Jesus Christ, our rock, our altar, our mercy seat. And you remember the story of Elijah in 1 Kings chapter 18. Uh, Elijah made a sacrifice to the Lord on Mount Carmel. That's when all the... Uh, the priests of Baal came and they did all their hoodoo stuff and, you know, cut themselves and danced around for hours and their Baal never came to, you know, consume their sacrifice. But Elijah prayed and the fire representing the wrath and the judgment of God consumed the sacrifice. It consumed the wood. It consumed the stones. It consumed the water in the trenches around the altar that they'd filled up three times. They'd saturated the ground. And when the fire of God fell, it lapped up all of it, including the water. And this reveals to us that God poured out all His wrath and all His judgment and accepted Christ as our substitute and sacrifice. When the fire and wrath and judgment of God fell upon Christ, our Lord, Savior, sacrifice, the judgment and wrath of God was consumed, satisfied, and extinguished. And verse 1 tells us, that the Lord departed out of Gideon's sight. Our Lord Jesus Christ's sacrifice was accepted. How do we know? Because of where He sits. He's out of, out of our sight, but He's not, not out of our hearts, is He? His ascension into heaven at the right hand of God is the proof that God accepted His sacrifice. And now there's peace. Peace between God and the sinner. Because justice has been satisfied. Holy justice is appeased. God is no longer angry with those for whom Christ died. He that was angry with the wicked every day is no longer angry with those for whom Christ died. Look at verse 23. And the Lord said unto Gideon, Peace, peace be unto thee. Fear not, thou shalt not die. How do we see the Lord and not die? Right there is how. That's how. The Lord had departed and yet He speaks. I thought about that. How can that be? Well, He speaks to our hearts through the written Word of God. That's why we meet together, isn't it? We come, we open the Word of God, we ask God as we did in the beginning tonight to reveal Himself to us through the Scriptures. Verse 24, Then Gideon built an altar there unto the Lord, and he called it, now look at this, Jehovah Shalom. And unto this day it is yet in Ophrah of the Abiezerites. Jehovah Shalom. The Lord send peace. The Lord our peace. Our peace with God. Peace that passes all understanding. 
You say, I don't understand that piece. You're not supposed to. It's, it passes all understanding. And it keeps our hearts and our minds through Jesus Christ, Philippians 4, 7. Jesus Christ is our peace. He said, peace I leave with you. My peace I give unto you. Not as the world giveth. The world doesn't have any peace. The world cries peace, peace, when there is no peace. Christ has the peace. He is peace. He's the peace of God. He said, not as the world giveth, give I unto you. Let not your heart be troubled. Let it not be afraid. Neither let it be afraid. Hmm. Why do we? Why do we? No man comes to the Father but by Christ. He's the way, the truth, and the life. Uh, let me wrap this up. I, I want you to turn to one last scripture, Leviticus chapter 10. Leviticus chapter 10, verse 1. Leviticus 10, verse 1, And Nadab and Abihu, the sons of Aaron, took either of them his censer, speaking of Aaron's censer, and put fire therein, and put incense thereon, and offered strange fire. Now most of the com commentators believe that that was fire that was started with kindling of their own and not from the holy incense from the sacred bronze altar. They started this fire. In other words, they lit it themselves before the Lord, which He commanded them not. They were commanded not to do that. There was a way to do things in the tabernacle. God had instructed them how to do things. And there went out fire from the Lord and devoured them. Burn them up. And when I think of devoured, I, I mean there's nothing left. And they died before the Lord. And look at verse 3. Then Moses said unto Aaron, now this is his two boys. He lost these two boys. <laughs> he said, this is it that the Lord spake, saying, I will be sanctified in them they come nigh me. Now listen, we're either going to come God's way or no way at all. You see that? There's pretty strong evidence of that. We're going to come God's way or we're not going to come at all. God's way is through Christ. He said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. There is no other way. Every man or woman that, that comes to the Father, comes to the Father through Christ. No man cometh to the Father but by me, our Lord said. Only one way to God. In order, and for God to be just and still justify sinners. God said, I'll be sanctified in them that come nigh me, and before all the people I will be glorified. Only one way. Well, you're pretty narrow-minded, preacher. No, I'm not. That's what God's Word says. God's pretty narrow-minded when it comes to salvation. 
It's in Christ alone, no other way. Narrow is the way. Narrow is the way that leads to life. Only one way. Aaron stood there and watched his two sons die and he didn't say a thing. He was silent before God, the Scripture said. God's way is always the right way. There's only one way to come to the Father and that's by Christ who is the way. The payment for sin was laid on Christ and that was the only way that God could remain a just God and also be a Savior. There's only one sacrifice that God will accept. How many? One. Just one. Not two. Not one and you throw a little something on it for good measure. No. There's one fire and judgment that God justly sends. No strange, common, man-made fire is going to be tolerated. You can't add nothing to what Christ has done. You better not. There's one, one offering that God will receive. And you come that way, or you're going to die in your sin. Yes, sir. Salvation is not given how most people think. You can ask ten people, how, do you, how are sinners saved? And you, you very well probably get ten different answers. It, come, it doesn't come by what you do. It comes by who you know and who you have, I should say. He that hath the Son hath life. He that hath not the Son hath not life. Isn't that so plain and so simple? There's no peace with God apart from Christ. Jesus Christ is our peace. Our Savior, Jesus Christ, is Jehovah Shalom, the Lord, our peace. May God be pleased to give you peace in Christ, dear brothers and sisters. For His glory, you're good, and for Christ's sake.